0: Everyone, welcome to A Good Night for a Murder, a Victorian true crime podcast. My name is Kim, and I am excited to share tonight's story with you because while it's well known where I live locally, it is not widely known. Also, it combines two of my favorite things to talk about, which are true crime and hauntings. And if ever a murder victim had a reason to haunt somewhere, this is it. This is the story of Tilly Smith. But first, a Victorian society tip. It comes as no surprise that women of the Victorian era were subject to harassment, unwanted sexual advances, and violent attacks when venturing out in public, especially those of the working class whose lifestyle required them to often go out alone. As women gained more independence, women's safety became a public issue, Self-defense manuals advised a combination of jujitsu, hat pin stabbing, and umbrella work to fend off men while walking alone. To quote President Theodore Roosevelt, no man, however courageous he may be, likes to face a resolute woman with a hat pin in her hand. One self-defense course offered to women in Philadelphia in the 1890s promised to deliver how to maim, disable, or even kill a two-legged brute with an umbrella the umbrella should be held in both hands and driven forward with the full weight of the body following it. If the blow lands on the right spot that is on the neck past below the apple, it is very likely to make the party attacked a subject for the morgue. The umbrella could be driven right into his neck with the force exerted by even a delicate girl if her weight follows the blow. Definitely check out social and blog photos for women practicing these techniques. This story takes place in 1886 on the campus of Centenary Collegiate Institute in Hackettstown, New Jersey. The institute, now known as Centenary University, was founded in 1867. At the time, it was a co-educational preparatory school, meaning it was attended by both young men and women to prepare them for higher education. Matilda Smith, or Tilly, as she was known, was born in 1866. When she was about 19, she got a job working as a kitchen maid on campus at Centenary that included Reuben Bourne. On the night of April 8, 1886, Tilly had planned to stay out late to attend a show at a theater nearby. She met up with three of her girlfriends, sisters Marion Agnes Wright and Annie Van Sickle, and they attended the show. While there, the girls made the acquaintance of two out-of-town salesmen, Harry Harrington and Charles Munich. After the show, the group leaves, the sisters Mary and Agnes head home and leave Tilly and Annie with the two men, Harry and Charles. On the street outside the theater, they encounter Frank Weeder and Jesse Baggett. Frank Weeder is an ex-boyfriend of Tilly's, and in some reports, it says they were harassed by Weeder and his buddy, and in others, it says they just spoke with them. Either way, they speak with them, they walk away, and Tilly heads off with Charles, who will walk her partway back to campus. It's sometime after 10 p.m. now, and they get to the point where they are to part ways, and Tilly heads off alone. Early the next morning, a body is spotted in an open field behind the school. It was Tilly Smith. She had almost made it home before being raped and strangled to death. Tilly was buried at the Union Cemetery just about a 20-minute walk from Centenary Campus, and an investigation into her murder began. Now, the investigators seemed to waffle back and forth on a few key points— First, they claimed she was raped by more than one man, but then they said there was only consensual sex and no rape. Then, based on the dust in her clothing, they said the assault took place in a nearby barn, which they later backpedaled on. And the absence of drag marts in the field where she was found, they said, indicated she must have been moved by more than one person, though they weren't certain about that either. None of these points are ever concretely proven or disproven, so we're looking at a case that is shaping up to be based solely on circumstantial evidence. The two out-of-town salesmen, Harry Harrington and Charles Munich, were both actually arrested and held for several days. But two doctors and the coroner placed Tilly's death between 10.15 and 10.30 the night before, and Harry and Charles were seen drinking in their hotel taproom at about the same time, so they were cleared. In investigators' questioning, they speak to James Titus, who is a 29-year-old maintenance man who also works at the college. He lives nearby in town with his wife and daughter. Investigators learned that he is one of the few people, on campus anyway, who knew that Tilly planned to stay out after curfew because she asked him if he could leave a door open for her or if he would be around to open a door for her later when she returned home after curfew. Now, James was reputed to be a quiet man who kept to himself and didn't want to make any waves, so he says he told her to ask the matron, who oversaw the room and board. Assuming the matron would just reprimand her and she'll be locked out anyway, Tilly doesn't mention anything to the matron and just goes about her plans. So because James Titus was aware in advance of Tilly's plans for the night, investigators start asking more questions about James Titus. As mentioned, he was reputed to be a quiet guy who shows up, does his work, and go home but investigators do speak with another part-time maintenance man from the college who works closely with him named Peter Mead. Peter Mead is aware that there is a reward for information leading to an arrest in the case of Tilly Smith, and he tells the investigators, oh yeah, I heard James Titus making all sorts of lewd comments about Tilly and other women, and he told me that night he was going to wait for her. Very incriminating stuff. But most reports imply that Peter Mead is just kind of an attention seeker, And even though he states he was not motivated by the reward for information, he does cash in on it later. So bottom line is let's take Peter Mead with a grain of salt. But without any other good suspects and the local townspeople becoming very restless, the police start to fall under a lot of pressure to find the person responsible. So shortly thereafter, James Titus is arrested and charged with murder. The case against him was largely circumstantial and in the absence of hard evidence, nearly 100 subpoenas were issued. The trial lasted for about a month, and at its conclusion, James Titus was convicted and sentenced to be hanged. He tried to appeal, but he was denied. Several months after his conviction, he signed a confession of guilt, and his sentence was commuted to 19 years in prison, which he served and was then paroled in 1904. It's said that he only signed the confession in hopes of being able to see his wife again, but his wife actually died only one month before he was officially paroled. One source I found stated that in his confession, he stated that Tilly had seduced him into an affair. She claimed to be pregnant and was threatening to tell his wife. They had met to discuss the matter. He lost his temper and he strangled her. I kind of feel like this story is just gossip from people looking to stir the pot. So after Tilly's death, a monument to her memory is erected in the Union Cemetery and paid for by generous donations from local and national benefactors. The monument reads... She died in defense of her honor, erected by the appreciative public. So the town really mourned Tilly, whereas public opinion at the time of the arrest had crucified James Titus. During the 19 years he was in prison, though, tempers cooled, and after his release, he chose to live in Hackettstown for another 50 years. James Titus died in 1952 at the age of 95 and is now also buried in Union Cemetery, The same cemetery as Tilly Smith. Now, I promised you a ghost story. Tilly is said to haunt the South Hall dormitory at the college's main building. Claims include spotting the apparition of Tilly, including seeing her floating near the ceiling of the hall, hearing moaning, and unexplained flickering lights. The theater is said to be one of her favorite spots as well. People frequently spot her in the back room by the stage and hear laughter. There are also reports of strange activities in the chapel and on the third floor of the Sei building. Also, her apparition is spotted just generally throughout campus and she is reported often by females walking alone as if she is walking them home trying to prevent what happened to her from happening to other young women. There are also reports of paranormal activity near her grave in Union Cemetery, which I generally don't believe that spirits haunt their own graves If there's the option to hang around somewhere, I think most of us would pick somewhere we spent a lot of time actually living, or at least with the people that we lived with, not our gravesite. But I have to say, if ever there was a reason for a restless spirit to haunt a cemetery, I think having your own murderer buried in the same cemetery is a very good reason. Now, this does beg the question, though. Did they get the right guy? Because having one's murderer walk free is another very good reason for a spirit to be restless. James Titus's conviction and confession is widely regarded as a false or coerced confession. Victorian-era science doesn't really give us much to go by as is, and in this case, there was literally none. James was convicted on circumstantial evidence alone. He did later confess, but as true crime fans know, people will say and do a lot of things when they believe themselves to have run out of options. Most believe James was just trying to save himself from the gallows when he confessed. So, if it wasn't James Titus, who was it? Another suspect in the court of public opinion is Tilly's ex-boyfriend, Frank Wiener. I did find one source where it says they questioned him, but it doesn't seem anything came of it, and he was definitely never held for it in any official capacity. But I'm remembering that the investigators did initially say the crime must have been carried out by two perpetrators, and he did run into Tilly with a buddy of his in tow the night before. Also, running into your ex with a new guy and then having them follow you for the night is, unfortunately, a very typical, jealous, toxic ex-boyfriend thing to do. One source I came across that likes Frank for the crime is the findings of a team comprised of a paranormal investigator, historical fiction writer, and psychic medium and path, who conducted an investigation in 2019 trying to get to the bottom of why Tilly's spirit still seems to be hanging around. They called it a crime of passion carried out by a jilted lover. I tried to look into what became of Frank, and the same paranormal investigation group seemed to think he died by suicide a few months after Tilly's death, but no source was cited for that, and I think it might just be the intuitive impressions of the psychic investigation. I did search around on findagrave.com and found one Frank Ellsworth weeder in the Philadelphia area around the same time which is less than two-hour drive from where Tilly Smith was murdered. But it turns out he was kind of a well-known stained-glass artist in the region, and I didn't have to look far to find that he was born, lived, and died in Philadelphia. No other Frank Weiders fit the age or location, so what happened to Frank Weeder appears to be lost to time. I think that Frank did have the motive, and honestly, I don't think they have much to stand on regarding the conviction of James Titus. But what do you guys think? Do you think they got the right guy? Why do you think Tilly's spirit seems to be hanging around? Head over to Instagram or TikTok at A Good for a Murder to let me know what you think. I've also posted some photos there of Tilly and James as well as their grave sites and some other photos. You can also see the photos on the episode blog and all the source links on my website, a also, if you're local to the Hackettstown, New Jersey area and have had any experiences or know anyone who has any experiences with Tilly's ghost, email me. Email me and tell me everything at a murder at gmail.com or through the contact form on my website. The bonus content for Housekeeper and Butler to your patrons for this episode is a story of another interesting grave site in the northwest New Jersey area. To subscribe to Patreon and learn more about the podcast, you can visit agoodnightforamurder.com. Also, follow me on Instagram or TikTok, at Murder. Please rate and review and share with your friends. Thank you for listening, and I will talk to you again soon.